All right. Welcome back to the Archery Coach Cast here, presented by International Archery Institute. We are here with our normal coaches, Doc McCune. Happy birthday, Doc. How many years around how many years around the sun is this now for you? Well, 81 around. I got on the train for 82 on the 4th of June. All right. All right. Well, happy, happy birthday, sir. And then our our soon-to-be grandpa, Larry Wise. <laughs> Howdy. We're waiting. Howdy. We're waiting patiently for that phone call. Yeah. Twins text. coming later in the week. Um Two more wise guys. I don't know if the world can handle two more wise guys. <laughs> That's funny. And then our guest of the hour, the all-around good guy. Yes, all-around <laughs> good guy. <laughs> um, so for everyone, if you don't know who Jay Bars is, number one, he'll tell you. But number two, I'm going to steal some of his thunder because it's fun. Um, Mr. Jay Bars is a multi-time Olympic uh, athlete, two-time Olympic medalist. I'm not going to steal that thunder from him, but his podiums did come from the 88 um, Olympics. Jay, what 88 Olympics, you want to tell us, where did you end up at at that time? So I won the gold individual and we won the silver for the team. And I think the greatest accomplishment for me was it screwed up the Korean suite in Seoul, South Korea. They had won the women's individual gold, silver, bronze, the women's team gold, they won the men's team gold. We won the silver of the U.S. And then I won the individual gold. The Korean won the silver. So I like to think I'm the guy that set the Korean men's team back by at least 15 years on winning a gold medal. So I'll take credit for that. Well, not, we mean this in the nicest way possible, but, nice. you know, golf clap for that. Um, so we have Jay on today. I had a pleasure of taking the Dick Tone um, seminar dick tone j bar seminars the way it was described if i remember correctly at lancaster archery supply um just before uh casey took off to olympic trials the week before and so dick came in jay was in my friend justin huish came in justin i got to spend the weekend hanging out with you guys and shooting and jay got a little bit of taste of the bare bow um because we talked about it quite a bit and you know we talked back and forth about some of the nuances between the two, but that's not what we're here to talk about today. I may save that for a Bearville project episode. Um, but what we did talk about, I think one of the epiphany moments for me in listening to um, Jay's portion of the, the seminar speaking, when we, when we got into the mental management side of his game or the lack thereof at one point in time, and although Jay was shooting at elite levels, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to even go there. I'm going to let you, let's talk about your beginning Archie journey, kind of leading up to that point. You can just give us a summary um, and let's get into that defining moment we talked about a little bit earlier. Yeah. So, I mean, how far back do you want to go when I was a kid shooting or start? Yeah. I mean, you know, how you got started, where you got started from, you should definitely mention your coach um, and let's, let's just you know, just kind of breeze through that and then get to that, that mental game discussion. Yeah, sure. So started as a kid because my parents shot and they dragged me to archery tournaments and I'd rather shoot than play in the sandbox. So I kind of had a knack for it. Shot till I was, I think, 11 or 12 and then stopped, picked it up again at 17 because I didn't want to have to get a job after I got out of high school and I couldn't afford to go to college and there was a school given scholarship. So I went, ah, I used to be good at this. So I started shooting and 
managed to get a scholarship, shot collegiate archery. Uh, Dick Tone, my coach, mentor, best buddy, all around good guy, hero, um, saw me shooting and said, hey, you're pretty good at that. I think you got some talent. If you're interested, I'd like to coach you. Well, I lived in Colorado. He lived in Arizona. Whatever. Sure. Sounds good. I was 17 at the time. Uh, fast forward a couple of years, Arizona State offered me a scholarship from the junior college. I go out there and start working with Dick. And um, he completely changed my form and increased my draw length like an inch and a half the very first day we worked together. <laughs> Managed to drop my scores by a solid 45 points right off the bat. So I wasn't <laughs> so sure. Um, but, you know, people have to understand when you make a major change, that's going to happen. So anyway, long story short or long scores came back the next summer ended up making the national team and so I start going to these national team camps and it's the top 10 men in the U.S. and at the time it was uh Rick McKinney and Daryl Pace were by far the top two guys they were the Michael Jordan and Larry Bird um and kids if you don't know who that is google Michael Jordan and Larry Bird and you'll understand <laughs> um <clears throat> so during these national team camps they it was early days. So, I mean, nutrition was a new thing. Sports psychology was a new thing relatively to our sport. Weightlifting, kind of a new thing. Um, and they teach us all these things at the camp. And we'd all go back to our normal routines and do what we always did. And Rick McKinney was really into this. So this would have been late 85. And we're having a camp. And, again, this is the top 10 men in the U.S. Rob Coffield was at this camp. Ed Eliason. Um, you know, those kind of people. And Rick makes a statement. He goes, you know, I'm not worried about any of you guys ever beating me. Oh. And um, what happened? I there? thought Hold that's on. sorry. Oh, uh, no, you're good. I thought that's uh, that's a fairly bold statement to make in the presence of 10 other guys that are, you know, the top 10 in the United States. Now, granted, Rick and Daryl were way ahead of us. He goes, every time you come to camp, we teach you how to eat. We teach you how to weight lift. Um, you know, we teach a mental training and every year you go back and do what you've always done. He goes, you do what you always done. You get what you always got. He goes, I eat right. I train, I weight lift. He goes, and I do mental training and I'm not worried about any of y'all ever beating me. And I sat back and went, well, he was world champion in 83. He was a silver medalist at the 84 Olympic games. He was world champion in 85 not a bad string he's got going right there <laughs> I thought all right I don't buy this mental training bs because you just need to shoot more arrows and just not suck so I thought here's what I'm going to do just to get them off my back I'm going to do this mental training I'm going to pick one of these programs this this camp one that makes sense to me and I'm going to do it I'm going to prove it does not work and then they will get off my back and let me go back to doing what I do. And I can just tell them, yeah, the mental training's nice, but I'm going to skip that session. So of all the programs they had kind of laid out, one of them was called Positive Affirmations. And this is where you take three by five note cards and you write on there things you're trying to improve. For example, it starts with, I enjoy and am comfortable. And then you fill in the blank, shooting scores over whatever, um, shooting 300 arrows a day, knowing I can beat Rick McKinney and Daryl Pace, uh, shooting. I enjoy him comfortable shooting strong, smooth shots in the wind. I enjoy him comfortable allowing my sight pen to have its natural arc of movement, those type of things. And the theory behind it was total voodoo. It was your subconscious sets limits on everything you do, both high and low. So it's your comfort zone. 
And the way they described it was if you're driving down the road in your car and you're not paying attention, you look down, and you're doing 80 miles an hour, you immediately let off the gas because you're not comfortable going 80 miles an hour. And that's because it's above your high limit of what your comfort zone is. And if you're going 45 miles an hour, you immediately step on the gas because it's below your comfort zone. And it keeps you within this, this comfort zone, even while you're driving a car. And I thought, yeah, okay, right. I'll give this a try because it seemed like something I could do. There was self-hypnosis was one of them. I tried that and all I did was fall asleep. Um, there was a couple others that seemed too convoluted. So this one seemed like something I could do. Write down some note cards, carry them with me, read them six or seven times a day, visualize what's on the card, go to the next card. It takes about a minute to go through six or eight cards. I can do this. Don't believe it, but I can do it. So I wrote these things up, talked to Dick. Does this seem like a good idea, good plan? These cards make sense. Yep. So I did it. I started reading these cards. Um, and what I noticed after about six months was not a whole lot. And the reason was because you just start to expect to do what's on those cards. And so it doesn't even register that you're doing them. You know, I went from shooting 100, 150 arrows a day to shooting 300 arrows a day. Had no idea why. Um, my score started going up. I noticed that. So I kept adjusting the score. Um, but the, the other stuff, like letting my sight pin have its natural arc of movement, all that kind of stuff. What that caused was my shot to become more relaxed because I wasn't worried about my sight pin moving around. I could just look at the center, execute the shot. And in 86, as I was leaving Dick's house to go to the airport for three tournaments, we were going in a row it was the Olympic festival world, uh, sorry, um, nationals. And I can't remember what the third one was, but it was three. And this is back when we shot FIDAs. This was back in the 1900s people when we shot FIDA. Um, I told him, I said, I'm going to shoot a 1300 if I get two good days of weather. And his response to me was, well, save your scorecard. Cause I want it. I was like, okay. And I, I just knew I was going to shoot a 1300. And at nationals, the first feed at nationals, it was two good days of weather. And I shot a 1300 on the button. And it was like not a surprise because I truly had raised that comfort zone. And so while I was shooting that 1300, I wasn't freaking out. Had I not done that, and we've all done it. You go to a tournament and you shoot your first distance um, or your first half of the tournament, whatever it is, and you're shooting better than you've ever shot before. Well, what happens? Well, the second half, you shoot like crap. And you shoot about your average because that's your comfort zone. Conversely, if you go to the tournament and you're shooting like crap the first half, you shoot brilliantly the second half and you shoot about your average. And so that's how this system works. And that's how changing your comfort zone works. You can do it the old fashioned way, which is you go beat your head against the wall until you slowly raise your scores up a little bit at a time. And then your mind starts to believe you're better than you are. But that takes a lot of work, and it also takes a little bit of luck um, because you have to be able to shoot those scores. And if you don't believe you can shoot them, about the only way to do it is your mind is thinking about something else. So you're sick that day, or you just broke up with your girlfriend or your boyfriend, or you know you lost your job, and so your mind isn't thinking about archery. You're thinking you're just shooting arrows, and your subconscious is doing it. And at the end of the day, you're like, holy crap, I shot really well today. How did I do that? That's kind of what this program does. It makes your subconscious drag you up to a level that it thinks you should be, and it will physically bring you to that level. I know it's voodoo. It sounds stupid when I explain it to this day, 
<laughs> trust me, it works because I'm the guy that went into this thinking this will not work. I will prove this will not work. And it still worked. So yeah. there you have it. That That is literally the, you know, the, 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 in the grand screen, that's the broad view of that's what you used going into, um, was that, what'd you say? 86, right? Yeah. Started late 85 into 86 and I carried it all the way through to the Olympics in 88. Yep. Yep. Matter of fact, hold on one second. Don't go away. Yeah, you're good. No, no worries. No worries. Perfect. So there's your index card for everyone who's watching this, who watches the, this version, or if you're listening to the audio version, go back and see it. That is, that is Jay's index card from when did you write that card? So I originally wrote that card in 1986 and it originally said I will be on the U S Olympic team. And I told Dick that, you know, and I had this one in particular, I had stuck up on the mirror in my bathroom. Um, I had one I carried with me also, but this one was just on the mirror in my bathroom. So every time I went, in there it was there um and i told dick about it and he looked at me and he goes really you just want to make the team and i went excellent point he goes if that's your goal and then you make the team and you get to the olympics you've already accomplished your goal so now what's going to happen And i'm like excellent point so i rewrote it and i I don't know if you could tell but that was in gold marker by the way i rewrote it to put i will be on the u.s olympic team comma and win the gold with two exclamation points, not just one, um, and stuck well, that, that on makes my a difference. Yeah. Big time. You got to yeah. believe, baby. So, so um, your, this program begins with telling a lie. 100%. Absolutely. Fake it until you make it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just lie to yourself. Just get started. Right. And it, it's got to be a lie that is far enough out there that you can't just go out tomorrow and do it, but close oh, enough yeah. that your mind goes, yeah, I can do that. Like, I believe I can do that. It's going to be a stretch, but I think I can do that. Mm-hmm. And then you just continue to bump them up, you know, yeah. as you accomplish them. Then you, then you need somebody to tell you you can't do it. <laughs> that depends on your personality. I'm the type that, yeah, you yeah. tell me I can't do it. I will yeah. absolutely prove you wrong. Some yeah, people aren't I'll, that way. Yeah, I'll show you. Yeah. Right. And that's one thing I tell people, I, I'm coaching some kids um, and it amazes me. And again, I'm old now, so I hate saying kids these days, but you have to have an unshakable confidence in yourself deep down. You have to. Anybody that's good at anything has that, inter- regardless of what other people tell you, what other people say, you've got to have that confidence. And sometimes you have to fake it till you make it. I mean, it's pretty arrogant to get up one morning and look at yourself in the mirror you know I was six foot tall and weighed 135 pounds and go you're gonna be an Olympic gold medalist I mean how how do you do that but it's fake it till you make it man you gotta start believing in it and don't let anybody tell you different so just I I was gonna say just to recap but you go ahead finish your thought no I, I know it seems pretty simplistic but it's true I mean I'm, I'm a person that like, I didn't tell my goals. Everybody knew, of course, when you're shooting, you're trying to make an Olympic team just about, but nobody except Dick Tone and myself and my parents knew that I truly, that I was going after this. This is what I was going to do. Um, because to me, it was nobody else's 
business and why put that extra pressure on myself to run around telling everybody I'm going to make the Olympic team and win the gold medal? Because if I didn't, yeah, if they don't know any different, they don't know any different. Um, so I don't like to put that kind of pressure on myself. So that was, you know, but everybody's different. Yeah. So, and the reason I want to recap is because not everybody saw, you know, people might come into this. I just want to do the, you had index cards. Somebody basically walked in and said, you guys suck. You're not doing what I'm doing. I'm going to beat all of you. And then somebody said, Hey, here's some mental stuff. And you said, no BS that doesn't work, but I'm going to do it anyways to prove you wrong. Then all of a sudden you realized, Holy crap, this positive self-talk positive affirmation stuff works. And then that resulted into a half a dozen 12 or, uh, or a half a dozen five by three index cards with your positive affirmations. I enjoy doing this or, I will do this. And those just over time transformed into somewhere in 86 that you were going to win the Olympic gold come 88. You won the Olympic gold in the individual. Yes. That's literally just like, you know, and we talk about positive self-talk and Larry and I have done some, uh, some mental courses with doc and, and we did the uh, like the online stuff. And I, I don't, the positive self-talk thing is in, in the, the smallest microcosm of mental management is like the easiest, most effective way that someone can help deal with tournament pressure or whatever is just, just day-to-day life, positive self-talk. I will, before this, not, I didn't sit here saying I will record a really good podcast before this. But I'm saying like, you know, you have to take that approach to things. I will shoot the next arrow better than the last. Even if the last one was an X, I will shoot the next arrow better than the last. It's that positive self-talk, that positive affirmation thing. It seems like kids especially, man, they struggle. They struggle because they think that, that what's happening around them is the value of the person they are. I mean, I've struggled with it. We all do. That's, that's huge. And that's one of the things I, I definitely talk about. It's like archery is what you do. It's not who you are. Um, and, and I struggle with that. We all do because we all, I mean, if you're any good at something, you have an ego and it hurts your ego to go out there and shoot worse than you know, you're capable of. And you're embarrassed. Well, I, I, I got news for you. You know, I said this, at this gives a crap how you shot, but you Frank, how did you shoot today? What they're really asking is, hey, Frank, did I beat you? They don't care how you shot. They give zero, zero care about how you shot. Doesn't matter to them. They just want to know if they beat you. That's it. So nobody's watching you as closely as you think they are. Trust me. 15 minutes after the tournament's over, ask somebody, hey, who won? Most people won't even be able to tell you who won the tournament, much less that you missed the bail on the second end of, you know, what they don't care. They don't know. They're not, it doesn't matter. So it's all about you. And to me, what put this in perspective, and I'm, again, if you're younger, you won't know this guy, Greg Luganis, probably the greatest diver the U S has ever produced in the Olympics. He won the three meter springboard and the 10 meter platform in 84 and again in 88. So won four gold medals dominated the sport. And I was at a press conference. It was me and him and several other athletes. And a um, interviewer asked him, they said, Greg, what's the last thing that goes through your mind when you're on a 10-meter platform, you're 
35 feet above the pool that looks like it's the size of a postage stamp. It's the last dive for the Olympic gold medal. You're about to hurl yourself off of this 35 foot high platform doing three full flips with three full twists. You have to hit the water perfectly vertical and make almost no splash to win the gold medal. What's the last thing that goes through your mind? And Greg goes, no matter what happens, my mom will always love me. And I'm like, there you go, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> that's, that's it in a nutshell. I thought it was brilliant. Absolutely. And I guess the idea of like when, Larry, you, you brought this up or we talked about this prior, that idea of like when and where do you apply that positive self-talk? When and where? Because there's got to be moments, even though you, you've gone through this stuff, you've read the index cards, you know, or maybe there's not moments. I don't know. Maybe you can elaborate on that. In the 88 Olympics, were there some moments where you had to, um, well, well, no, that was a mantra discussion. That might happen at, at a later date, the, the uh, Top Gun mantra discussion. Um, but what, what were there moments where you had to still – although you were in such a good positive mind, you know, mindset was, do you still had to implement that positive self-talk? When do you, when and how, like when do you, were you just running through the motions and everything was just running smoothly? Or even though you went through all those steps, you know, all that, that two years of every day, six times a day or whatever the, the formula was reading those cards to yourself over and over and over again that you still had to implement positive self-talk during the fight, during the tournament? Oh, hundred um, <clears> percent. <throat> the way it worked, it was, you know, you shot a qualification round, which was a FIDA. This was the grand FIDA, um, but it was the predecessor to the head-to-head -head competition. So you shot a FIDA, they cut the field to 24. And then you would shoot nine arrows at 90, nine arrows at 70, nine arrows at 50, nine arrows at 30. They'd add up your score for just those 36 arrows. They take the top uh, 18 and take away all your points. You come back out and you shoot from 30 back to 90. So now you're ending at 90 meters, which is a whole different ball game. Um, and they would take the top 12, take away all your points. Well, in that first pass from to cut from 24 to 18, I was not shooting well. I was hanging down in like the 13, 14 range. <clears throat> um and yeah, I mean, a little bit of panic was starting to set in. And luckily, Dick Tone was there, my coach. And he walked by and I don't remember saying it this way. But according to him, this is what I said. I'm like, there's something wrong. You need to fix this. <laughs> and So he's like, you need to relax your bow hand. And so I started focusing on just relaxing my bow hand. Whether that was the case or not, he gave me something to put some positive energy towards. Oh, OK, that's an easy fix. I know how to relax my bow hand. And, you know, I took off from there. I ended up qualifying, I think, 10th in that round. And then the qualification from uh, 18 down to 12, I was third. And then the next day when you went from 12 to 8, I tied for first. And then the 8 down to, you know, that's where you win the gold medal. And obviously I won it. But, yeah, I mean, during that, that whole event, you know, there's – the pressure gets, it builds to a point where one of two things is going to happen. You're absolutely going to just lose your mind and you can't function or you go, this is the most fun I've ever had at a tournament. And for me, it was, this is the most fun I've ever had at a tournament. I had gotten to the point where I believed so much I was going to win it. And somebody asked me one time, like, are you getting nervous as it gets closer? I'm like, no, I just want to see how the book ends. 
like whether I win it or not, I just want to see how this thing ends up because I've got so much invested in this and I've done everything I know I can do. I left nothing on the table. I left nothing to chance. I am as prepared as a person can possibly be. Win, lose, or draw, let's just find out how this dude comes out. Mm-hmm. And But I believed I was going to win for sure. But yeah, there was definitely times, you know, when when you I'd shoot an arrow. Uh, matter of fact, in the, in the last nine arrows at 90 meters, I knew I was one point ahead, one point behind because I was watching everybody else's target, the other seven guys versus my target. So I knew the same guy hadn't beat me every end. I kind of ignored the scoreboard because the Koreans weren't, they were playing a little fast and loose with the scores, what they posted. So I'm just watching. And my first arrow at 90 was a seven, which at 90 meters, that's only that far out of the 10 ring, but it's still a seven. Um, you know, and, and there was that brief flash of, uh-oh, like, what was that? And immediately it was like, hey, that's not like you, man. Just shoot a good shot. And that was that positive thing of just, you're fine. Just shoot a good shot. Shot the next, the next two were in the gold. You know, the next end was all in the gold. <clears throat> and then the last, sorry about that. People keep calling me. Um, <laughs> yeah, no worries. And then the last, uh, you know, the last three arrows, uh, my first arrow again was a seven. And that was that little second of, you know, uh-oh, it's like, you're fine. Just, you know, you're leaving here with a medal. Let's just determine what color it's going to be at this point. Um, and so then I shot my next two arrows and shot a nine and a 10 and, you know, it was game over. So that self-talk is, is always there. And the thing that drives me crazy, and I am <clears throat> so guilty of it, we all are as archers, you can stand there and shoot 500 tens in a row and you shoot one, nine, or eight, and what do you talk about for the next two days with all your buddies? Yeah. The nine or the eight. You don't talk about the 500 tens in a row you just shot. You talk about the nine or the eight. Like, seriously? And we all do it, and you're as guilty. I mean, I'm as guilty as anybody, but it is what it is. Yeah. Larry, does that uh, – you want to elaborate on that question? Oh, you talk, yeah. Talk about uh, yeah, Jay, you, you mentioned the topic uh, dear to my heart when you said that your coach told you to focus on relaxing your bow hand. So what he got you to do is present process thinking. He got you in the present. Correct. Yeah. And yeah, don't yeah, don't think about what the outcome might be. Think about how to shoot a good arrow right now. Right, that's and that's what you have control over. Exactly. Yeah, you have no control over what everybody else is going to do. You have no control over the weather. You you just got to accept those things, and you have yeah. to do what you can do. Right, and and no control over your arrow after it leaves the string. Correct. And and when you start realizing that, then you can focus on the important thing of what you're doing now. 100 percent and archery's you know it's good and bad in that you get instant feedback as soon as you shoot a shot you get inst- and sometimes it's not good feedback i've shot some horrible arrows that went to tin ring oh yeah and i've shot some really good arrows that didn't so you have to separate oh, yeah. the outcome from how you actually yeah. shot that yes. arrow yeah 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 I- that's that's a profound people, statement. Only four things can happen when you shoot an arrow. Yeah. You, know, you, you have you to separate well, the arrows. Well. You, 
you shoot well, it scores poorly, or you shoot poorly and it scores well, and you shoot poorly and it scores poorly. That's it. Right. Yep. But too many people try to tie those things together and they think, oh, well, that was, you know, I want it. I shot a 10, so it must have been okay. That was a horrible shot. You know it was a horrible <laughs> shot. <laughs> yeah. You know, you got away with it. Congrats. That's a good thing. But you can't, you, you know, that's not going to last. So yeah. get involved with the process. And, and Dick. Oh. <laughs> sorry. I keep losing people. No, that was Doc, me. it's, it's, uh, it's just <laughs> the way Zoom works when somebody calls. Sorry. Um, I'm a popular guy. Maven's. Send me my here. video request thing because I can't figure out how to make yeah, my I video did. come back on. Yeah, uh, I um, I'll do it right now. There you go. Okay. You should be good. So, one of the things Dick will do with his students, especially if they're struggling with separating those two things—the score, the outcome from the actual shot—is he will have them score in tournaments. You don't score your arrows; you score your shots. So, if oh, you're yeah. shooting a six yeah. arrow in, you have a possibility of six points. And if you shoot a good arrow, you get a point. And if you shoot a not so good arrow, you don't get a point. And so you start scoring by how you shot the arrow, not what the result of the arrow was. And for some people, it's brilliant because it completely separates them from that target and the outcome and allows them to focus, to your point, Larry, on the process. Right. Like, can I just shoot a good arrow? I don't care where it goes. Can I just execute a good shot in a tournament? And they start focusing on that and they start executing good shots. And lo and behold, the score improves. <laughs> and of course, as you know, the first thing they think is, wow, I wasn't even trying. Now I'm going to try. Yeah. <laughs> Watch this. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> and it all goes to hell in a handbasket. And then they go back to thinking about the process. And then, it gets, and then you kind of learn. Yeah. Okay. I need to separate yeah. myself from that. You know, and that's a great tool to use with Joe Ad kids because you have a lot of Joad kids who early on blast through their bronze, silver, and gold Olympians. And then their clubs have a pin shoot once a month. And they have to come back like, well, I'm not going to shoot for a pin shoot. I already have my pin. Well, okay. Well, here's a scorecard. And with that scorecard, you are going to score your arrows on a scale of 1 to 10. So if you're shooting 36 arrows, you have a 360 perfect score. And those, but you're not scoring the value of the arrow. If the arrow hits in a 10 and you know that you plucked the crap out of it because you didn't hold in the middle, you're scoring it a two. But if that score, if that arrow lands in the eight and it was a good shot, but the wind took you, you score it a 10 because it was a good shot. And, you know, that's a great way for those elite level or, you know, those kids that were able to progress through the Joad pin achievement system to then continue to capitalize on those pin shoots, but instead of actually focusing on score, which what we're not supposed to do, they're focusing on their shot one at a time. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's, and I'll, I will definitely be using that. And I'm sure that there's a, a young listener who is logged in Maggie Brensinger, who shoots Barbo listening. Um, you can write that one down kid. Cause that one's coming your <laughs> way too. Um, yeah. Doc, I know you had some things. Do you want to, and maybe you even switched it up after listening um, that you had wanted to, to mention or talk about in regards to, you know, like the when and how of what you make, what changes you make. Yeah. I, um, 
I was just thinking before the we, we started here, when, when you start, uh, uh, Jay, when you start working with someone as, as their coach, I'm sure you're picking them up, up after they've been shooting for probably a fairly long time, have developed uh, themselves as a good, good archer where they wouldn't be standing in front of you. And by the time you get to them, there, there are certain things that you're going to see probably rather quickly because you, you have your way of, I, I'm, I'm assuming this, you have your way of, of, of teaching of, of the, the, the process, as we're saying here, and Larry's favorite term, uh, of, of how to put yourself into the process. And you have to be present to do that. That's important. And that that's not only a uh, a thinking thing, but it's also being present with, with within the steps of a process. You have to know where you are at what point in order to accomplish the end. Mike, I, I was saying to Frank before we got started, I'd be interested to know once you start working with someone who is this far along. How do you go about helping them make the changes they need to make? In other words, unlearning. Uh, just as an example, and I, I, I'm I'm a fair archer. I've shot for a long time, but I've I've never, other than with myself, and I'm not particularly proud of this. I've, I've always been doing other things. Uh, so as when I was a kid, I was a dairy farmer and the cows came every, every, twice every day to be milking and to be milked. So you didn't have a lot of time to, to do other things. Then later a professional, very busy in my practice. And I taught 40 some years in, in, in medical field. So very busy. So I never was a competitive archer. Now I'm trying to remedy that if Frank can ever get my new bow together, we're going to teach me how, how to become a bear bow to shooter. It's the only bow I haven't shot. Well, I, I don't even talk about crossbows, but uh, I think they're, I think they're illegal. But uh, my, my question is, how, how do you help someone unlearn? So when, the way when I, I look at it is... Let, let me just finish my thought. I was teaching people who already had their doctorates. I was pe- teaching in a postdoctoral program to... Uh, n- nurses, physicians, therapists, and so forth, and they already knew everything that there was to know about what what all was known, and they wanted you to re- realize that. How, how do you help people unlearn to learn something more? So for me, with, at least with archery, I can't speak to doctoral students, but with archery, it's almost everything becomes a habit, and so instead of people want to break a habit, where you in my opinion, you can't break a habit. You have to replace it with a new habit. Mm -hmm. So if they're doing something that's, you know, counter to what I think they should be doing, I will try to not make them stop doing that. I will try to replace that with a different thing to do, a different habit, a different way of looking at it. Um, And depending on the individual, and this may be the case with a doctoral student, sometimes you may have to prove to them they really don't know everything. Um, you know, and I have blown a few people up, you know, kind of blown their minds with, oh, so you think this is how it works? Well, let me show you why that's not true. And then when they have that epiphany, they're like, oh, okay, I get it. Um, but I always try to just replace what they're doing with a new habit, a new 
a new system and a new way to think about it versus try to get them to stop doing something else. So in time, it, it becomes a habit. Correct. It, yeah. And I also am very clear that you will probably go backwards before you go forwards. So mm -hmm. be okay with that. Mm -hmm. That's yeah, good you have stuff. to create in them a need to know something that you know. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I've had a couple of difficult people and it was like, look, if you knew everything, you wouldn't be asking me how I did this. <laughs> so speaking and, of difficult people, uh, weren't you, didn't you classify yourself as that for Dick Tone? Oh, God, yes. Absolutely. There's no so, doubt. So the you're day, speaking the from day experience. I started, what's that? So you're speaking from experience. <laughs> oh, yeah, 100%. The day I started coaching, my first phone call after my first lesson I gave was to Dick Tone. And I just said, hey, Dick, I apologize. And he's like, for what? I go, everything. Just <laughs> everything. And he just laughed. He goes, yeah, coach, it's a little different, isn't it? So, yeah. But the interesting thing, I mean, to me, when people ask, so, you know, what makes a good coach or how did you find a coach? First and foremost, you have to believe whatever it is they're teaching. Whatever it is, you have to go, that makes sense to me. Yeah. And I see how that could work. Yeah. And then secondly, it has to be a relationship that there's give and take. So with Dick, there was many times I he would tell me to do something and I'd be like, why? And he would tell me why. He would explain, well, this is what we're trying to do, blah, blah, blah. And then other times he would say, you don't need to know, just do it. And it would frustrate me. And we'd start bickering back and forth. And finally, he'd go, look, Jay, if I tell you why I want you to do this, you can affect the outcome. And we're not going to know for sure why. He goes, you're good enough at what you do. You'll affect the outcome. I don't want that. I just want you to do this. Just do it. Okay. And then I would do it. Um, and then sometimes it was, yeah, that worked. And other times it was, yeah, okay, that didn't work. And the thing is, Doc, as you know, it's called the practice of medicine for a reason. <laughs> um, same with coaching. Not everything a coach tells you may or may not work, but they're trying to get to an end result. And you have to have 100% faith that that person is trying to make you better. And if there's any doubt in there, maybe that's not the right coach for you. If you've gone through four or five coaches with that doubt, the only common denominator at that point is you. Um, maybe you're just not coachable, which I don't believe everybody, anyone is non, totally not coachable, but you, you have to find that give and take. And yeah, there's definitely some headbutting that will go on, but ultimately you have to believe in the system and believe they're trying to make you better. Perfect. That's outstanding response. And it's something I, I, I wrote down while you were talking, I wrote down, you know, cause I always play around with names of podcast episodes, you know, and this one definitely is, you know, mental game and unlearning bad habits, because that is the toughest part about archery is unlearning the bad habits and replacing them and how, well, how do you replace them? And we're not going to, we don't have to get into that. Um, well, the good news is you don't have to unlearn it. You just have to replace yeah. it. Or yeah. replacing bad habits. Yeah, you're yeah. You're probably right. That's a better, that's a better um right. yeah. yeah. See now yeah. I have to telling, write that down. <laughs> telling yeah. somebody not to do something, the mind doesn't hear the not. The mind works in yeah. pictures. Yeah. So if you say don't and fill in the blank, don't think of a pink elephant. Well, the only thing you can think of is a pink elephant because the mind works in pictures. You you try, you have to put it in a positive 
you know, think about a blue elephant. Well, yeah, okay, yeah. I can do that. You can't block out negative thought. Correct. You can, you can only replace think it. positive thoughts, and then there's no room for negative. Right. Correct. Um, we and, do have know, a. Yeah. Let, let me just pause for one second. Those of you that are viewing, if you want to submit any comments or questions, Sean beat me to the punch. Um, you can submit those via the chat. Uh, we're going to continue the conversation. Um, and if we have any comments or things to respond to, we will and then to close things up. But go ahead, Jay, with that thought. I'll say, one thing I want to say about the, the positive self-talk, people that know me have <laughs> been with me at an archery tournament would look at me and go, everything you have said so far, Bars, is complete BS because I've heard you berate yourself worse than any drill instructor ever would at an archery tournament for not shooting well. Oh, yeah. And yeah, it is 100% yeah. true. Here's the difference, though. I truly didn't believe it. Deep down, I didn't believe what I was saying. For me, though, sometimes it was motivating to just go, seriously, you suck. And then the next thing was, oh, yeah, I'm going to prove you wrong. Right. It's what you do that next second. Correct. Yeah. Now, for most people, if you keep telling yourself that, you're going to start believing it because you will start to believe what you say. But deep down in my heart, I had that unshakable confidence that it wasn't going to bother me. And sometimes I will be 100% transparent. I think sometimes I would say things like that, hoping Dick would overhear me and go, dude, you're fine. Just to get a little positive feedback from my coach, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Okay. So was I a little needy sometimes? Probably. I needed to get a pat on the back. I'm not going to lie. We all need that. Um, so, you know, for those of you who actually shot with me, I'm not totally lying to you here. It's all true. But yeah, I, I was hard on myself. I was really hard on myself. But again, it was never to the point where I didn't, I lost faith in myself. And that's the thing. You have to have that unshakable confidence. You just have to. And I always explain is you have to be cocky. And people go, oh, cocky is bad. I go, no, no, arrogance bad. Cocky is good. And the difference is an arrogant person runs around telling you how good they are. A cocky person walks into the tournament, doesn't say a word, looks around and goes, I wonder who's going to be second today. But they never verbalize that. That's an internal thing that they just have that unshakable confidence. And I don't care if you're a CEO, a doctor, a surgeon, an archer, a tiddlywinks player. The guys that are the best at what they do have that cockiness and that unshakable confidence. I once had a, a, a coach in my, I want to say, eighth grade year, junior high basketball. My coach said to me, or our entire team, we're going to our arch rival to play this big, huge this place they call the Mecca. It's uh, March Hall, it's called. And we played our junior high games on this big, huge college-sized floor. It's just ginormous. It's the neatest thing when you walk in as a junior high, well, even as a varsity player. But you walk in and he goes, you know, we go into there and those guys all have chips on your shoulders and you guys need to have chips on your shoulders. We looked at him and they were like, but, you know, and he said that, he was like, you know, well, we don't want to be cocky. And there's like, no, every good athlete, no matter what sport it is, has a chip on their shoulder. So you might not see it and you might not hear it, but it's there. And you need to have that drive with every play, every loose ball, every, every fast break, everything, you know, and, and it just, that, 
that has stuck with me. And the other thing that stuck with me in response to that is something that you said, and I've heard it before, but it is during the seminar, sorry for the background noise. Um, you said, whether you say I can, or you say I can't, you're right. Henry Ford. Yep. Get, you replace the I can't with I will. Yeah, you know, my, my I, junior high basketball coach had a different thing. He looked at our team and he said, well, boys, you're short, but you're slow. <laughs> you said that, too. I remember that comment as well. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's good stuff. Well, I mean, I, we definitely hit what we wanted to discuss. Um, I know we've talked about recording multiple episodes and we'll do that as your time permits and stuff like that. Um how did how did our friend Justin do in SoCal? Was he shooting? Yeah, he shot. Um, he, he I talked to him afterwards. He was happy. He's um, you know gone back to doing what Justin does. So he's set his bow back up the way he did it. He went back to his old finger tab. He went back to his old shot. You know, and he was feeling a lot better about things. He shot better. Uh, lost a tough match in in the head to heads. I think he won his first match. Lost his second match, but it was you know it was a close match, and uh, he was happy with how he had. Um, how he had shot, <clears throat> excuse me, and that he was, um, you know, had stepped back to what he was doing when he was Justin Hewish Olympic gold medalist. You know, it's like. Right. Yep. And he, he, he just made that change a few weeks ago. He, you know. Yes. If, for those of you who don't know Justin, you know, he's returned to the sport here in the last year or so um, and is really working back, working to get back, you know, he is an elite level shooter let's not let's not I don't want to paint this picture that he's not he absolutely is but he's he's working it's a different age it's he's a different age it's a different time and you know he went with that again with that plethora of information that's out there and it's probably even overwhelming in some ways he made some changes he's you know doing this doing that and then we've shot I mean I spent a ton of time with Justin um, a few weeks ago at the seminar and he was like you know what dude i'm just going back to me i'm going back to me it worked then it'll work now um went back to his old tab like you said and you know and just it puts him it puts him in a mind frame of almost like an unbeatable mindset it's a that's that's even a mindset thing it's not just a a physical or shooting form thing oh absolutely And, and part of the problem is when you've stepped away from the sport for a certain period of time, the scores continue to go up because that's what the scores do. They've done it ever since the dawn of time. The scores continue to go up. And it's not because the equipment has changed that much and it, it has, but it's not that the guys are that much more talented or whatever. It's because when you grow up in a certain era, the scores are a certain amount and that's what you say I have to get to. And so you get to that and you become a champion. If you were born 20 years earlier, the scores would have been lower and you would have gotten to those scores. You would have never shot the scores you shot born in this era. Mm-hmm. And if Justin was born 15 years later, he would look at the scores now and he would be, you know, 20 years old. And he's like, Oh, I've got to shoot three forties and seventies. And he would do it because if you're a champion, it doesn't matter what era they put you in. You will still be a champion because you've got the mindset. You've got the work ethic. You've got all of that. So as you step away from it, you don't pay attention and then you come back 15 years later and you look at the scores, your first instinct is my God, I can't shoot that good. I never shot that good at my best. Then you start to realize, 
well, yeah, if I had continued to shoot and watch the scores do that, I would have continued to chase those scores because that's just what you have to shoot. But it is a rude awakening to look at the scores they're shooting and go, woof, how am I ever going to get back there? And that's why he went and started doing things he had never done before and finally realized, wait a minute, my form's good enough the way it was to shoot these scores. It's a, between my ears. I just have to convince myself mm-hmm. I can still do that. And you can. Yeah. That's, that's a perfect closure to this discussion. You guys have anything else you want to chat about before we let Jay go get on with his day? Well, I hope we can continue this uh, further. Yeah. There's a, a lot more to think about and say here. Absolutely. Love to. Yeah, we will um, for sure. So everybody look for that part two. Yep. And uh, I think we're going to call it a day. Thank you everybody for joining into Archie Coachcast. Just a reminder, this is obviously on YouTube because you're already watching it if, if you didn't catch the live recording. Um, and it'll be on all of the, the, the audio version will be on Spotify and Anchor and um, Apple Podcasts and all of those places as well. So check us out there and thank you for to Sean and Maggie and those who joined in to listen live. And just a reminder for all you guys, we record every Monday at 12 Eastern time. You can just click the Zoom link, log in. You can't turn your video or your audio on, but you can listen live and then interact even if you want to with the guests. Um, you know, we have uh, we did have Sean Moore, who's he's a regular Jay, he's in Ireland, so he logs in and listens to every single one. He's gone mm-hmm. through some of our yeah. classes and stuff like that. Um, but and then Maggie, who is a she's local to me. I coach her in Barabo. She's she's quite the talented young Barabo shooter. But I think this discussion today, Jay, is exactly the one that she needs to hear because um, your your approach is just so it, it it can affect anyone, whether it's a youth shooter or the highest level of a shooter so i mean just the timing is is outstanding so um, thank you i appreciate it yes definitely absolutely thank you both uh or thank you doc and larry for for once again and oh, yeah. thank um, you jay jay thank you absolutely so for, thoroughly enjoyed for, it gentlemen yes and we'll we'll like i said we'll continue this through throughout the next few months and stuff around your schedule and coaching and whatnot and, and um and whatnot All right. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. Bye now.